Have you ever been gut punched? If you were a teenage boy once, you got gut punched. That's what teenage boys do to each other. You sneak up on the other guy, you know, he's not expecting it, and you just, you don't really, you know, you're not all out, but you just right there, right? COVID-19 gut punched the church. It did, and some churches haven't caught their breath yet. On my way to New Braunfels two weeks ago to preach at Redemption Bible Church, I came by a large church on 1604 there in San Antonio, and they had a huge sign hanging on their building. It said, We Back. We Back. And I loved it. But the sad news is 20 to 30% aren't back. National averages, uh, based on a blog I read recently, said that in majority of churches that have come back to services since the COVID shutdown, 20 to 30 percent of their congregation has yet to return. And uh, I would say before this morning, <laughs> that was true here. I think the number is falling fast at Curville Bible. Six months of of really bearing this burden, and we all, believers, unbelievers alike, feel and have felt oppressed and, and weighed down and heavy laden. There is a general, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a general aroma of discouragement and lethargy and stress and even anger out in general culture. You see, after a while, cancel culture begins to take its spiritual toil. It begins to have a price to pay in this cancel culture that we've entered into. And I want to say personally, speaking now just for myself, I regret that we ever stopped meeting. And I want to personally apologize to you. It may, thank you. It may, it made sense. It made sense at the time and there were reasons for it, but in hindsight, at least in my heart, it was a mistake and, uh, it was a dreadful time. It was a dreadful time and I'm so thankful to God it is, it is over and it is behind us. Because this is what I know. Whether there's COVID or whatever else might come down the pipe, this is what I know. It is time for the church to be the church. It is time for the church to preach the gospel. It is time for the church to be open for business, to preach the gospel, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It is time to teach children and youth the things of God. It is time for us to fellowship. It is time for us to be in home groups. It is time for us to be in Sunday school classes. It is time for us to live on the edge of eternity. It is time for us to... Not live adopting the primary value of our culture, which is safety and comfort, but to live on the edge of eternity as a people who know where they're going to go when their life ends here. As a people who know where their next breath will be when they have their last breath here. It's time for the church to be the church. Our culture, our society is desperate to see the church be the church. I read something in a blog a while back that just, man, it just drilled into my head. I haven't forgotten it, and I just think of it often. The, the writer said this. He said, we care way too much what the world thinks about us. 
And, and this whole COVID thing has revealed that to all of us to one degree or another. We care way too much what the dead in their sins, blind to the glory of Christ, what the lost world thinks of us. And we need to care only what God thinks of us. We need to live only to please him, not please a, a, a wayward and lost culture. It is time for us to come out of the COVID hole. It is time for us to come out of isolation and to come out of loneliness. It is time for us to come out of, of lives that are lived in separation from one another. It, it's really been a, uh, a dark place for many people and it's time to come out. And this morning, as I prayed about what to do in this service on our annual meeting Sunday, uh, with the anticipation the next Sunday will be a little different. I'll be up here next Sunday as well. So you got me for a while now, Lord willing. And, and then the Sunday after that, September, we'll be back in Matthew chapter 12. And so I had this one sermon this morning that I thought, Lord, how, how do I, what do I say? What does our church need to hear? And so I felt very strongly that it's, it's time this morning for your pastor to speak the truth in love to those who are here and to those who are watching on live stream. To speak the truth in love and to encourage the saints and to shepherd the flock that is among us. And so this is a little bit of my disclaimer. There'll be some strong things said this morning. I say them in love. I say them because I care about your soul. I say them because I care about your spiritual being. And I want to say them with as much love and compassion and understanding as I possibly can. And if I cross that line at some point because I get really passionate about this, I ask you in advance to forgive me if I go a little too far. But God has called me to shepherd this flock along with the other elders. And we primarily do that through what happens from behind this pulpit. And so this morning is about that. With that in mind, I want us to walk through a short list today of four biblical reasons why we gather. Four biblical reasons why we assemble, why we congregate, why we are here right now. I want to walk through four. There could have been a whole lot more. I started with seven, got it down to four, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Biblical reason. I want to persuade you uh, as to why it is that we gather. And I want to say here on the outset... That yes, COVID-19 and the shutdown and the, and the lack of 20 to 30% of our own church family is the, is the background and it is the context this morning. I also want to say that I think everything I will say today goes beyond, uh, COVID-19. It, it, it was true before the middle of March and it'll be true five years from now. Regardless of what threats and what issues come the way of the church here in America. And so keep that in mind. You know, if you're if you're like some and I heard this from one of the guys down at, at, at Redemption Bible a couple of weeks ago, he, he was like, he was like, I am so over COVID-19. <laughs> Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's not where you are. I just want you to just step back and say these things are true all of the time and they're especially true now. The first one, we the one that is most related to our current context. So number one, for biblical reasons, gathering reflects a prudent Risk assessment. Gathering reflects a prudent risk assessment. The word prudent is a biblical word. It's a great word. It's found in 1 Timothy 3, 2, where Paul gives the qualifications for an elder, for an overseer, a shepherd, a pastor. And one of the qualifications that Paul lists in 1 Timothy 3, 2 is the word prudent. It means wise or discerning. 
to be mature or sensible. It is a a person with sound judgment. Paul will use the word sensible over in Titus of these same type qualifications. This word prudent is a very popular word in the book of Proverbs, which is not a surprise. It's used approximately 15 times in the New American Standard. Proverbs 14, 15 is a good example. It says the naive believes everything, but the prudent or sensible man considers his steps. The naive or the simple believes everything, but the prudent man considers his steps. So as we begin this uh, list of four today, I want to just say it is a prudent risk or threat assessment for us to gather. It is prudent because, first of all, of the percentage of positive cases in Kerr County. We have a population of approximately 52,000 people. There have been 400 some odd positive cases in our county. That yields a percentage of point zero zero eight. That is your chance right now where the numbers are with our population and the number of positives. Your chance, if you want to extrapolate that, would be you have a point zero zero eight chance of getting COVID based on just the history so far. I think it is prudent also because of the current trends in Kerr County, the current trends in positive cases that have been reported, the current trends in the number of hospitalizations at our at our hospital. It's been anywhere in the last few days from zero to one or two. I don't know that it's ever gotten over the number of six or seven. If I've kept up with it. So the current trends are very encouraging. The trends of recoveries are very encouraging. The number of people being tested and, and coming back negative, very encouraging. It's also a prudent risk assessment because I think now you can expand beyond Kerr County. I think we can safely say that the actual real threat of serious illness or death of a healthy person is minuscule. And those are important qualifiers. The actual threat of a serious illness or death of a otherwise healthy person is a very, very small threat. And I think that has been uh, been the case. We can also say this is a prudent risk assessment because of the number of cases. Hey, and I'm a realist. Everything's subject to change. Uh, you know, God is in control, but. We can just we can just make decisions on what we know. All right. See, so much of our decisions in this whole process have been on the future, on the unknown, on what hasn't happened. Let's make decisions on what has happened. Let's make decisions on history up to the moment, not on what might happen. You can't live a life making decisions primarily on what might happen by people guessing. So what has happened to this point is that there have been no cases contracted or spread at Kerrville Bible Church to our knowledge. And we have been meeting now for this is the 15th week and we've been averaging 215 people. There's more than that here today. Praise the Lord. Right. So I think that's a so if I'm just going to be a, a prudent risk assessment, threat assessment, those are important things that I'm going to consider in whether I'm coming back to church or not. I think based on all of that, we can say that gathering is not playing in the traffic. It's it's not reckless. 
In fact, I would argue that what we're doing right now is not as risky as driving to Fredericksburg. (laughs) It's not as risky as driving to San Antonio. It's not as risky as going to (laughs) H-E-B. I'm going there this afternoon. I love H-E-B. But how many thousands of people are working their way through H-E-B every day? See, I want to make a prudent risk or threat assessment. That's how we have to live life. But there's one more item that is most important of all, because all of these things are always subject to change. And we don't know all of the facts, certainly. But here's an item that is often forgotten. This is a prudent risk assessment because of the spiritual risk of not gathering. See, we just get wired to think only in the physical, only be safe. The only risk I have is to what could happen to my body. And we don't assess the risk of staying home. We don't assess the risk of staying isolated. We don't assess the risk of losing out on what gathered church brings to our souls. And I would say to you that that is a tremendous risk. That is a tremendous risk in the health and life of your soul. This is why this is true all of the time. You see, this is not just a COVID issue because too often the case is among most churches, solid churches, good churches, 25% of their membership aren't there on any given Sunday. And I know there are, there are valid reasons why we all can't be here every Sunday. But certainly that should be the goal. Certainly that should be the desire. Because we recognize that if I'm not there, I'm taking a spiritual risk. If I don't come to church, I'm risking the spiritual health of my soul. I often think this, if I don't come to church, that might have been the sermon that day that God profoundly would have used in my life. And I chose to do something of lesser value. John Calvin, the great reformer and pastor of 500 years ago, had this great quote. He said, God is our father, but the church is our mother. God is our father. God births us into his uh, into his family. He regenerates us by his spirit. He he adopts us as his sons and, and daughters. But but the church is our mother. What did he mean by that? He meant that the gathering of the saints and the and the caring about of the one another's of the church is is like a mother nourishing and nurturing and caring for her children. It is the church that. That puts us into positions of success in the spiritual life to grow us up in Christ's likeness. To not gather at church then is to neglect your mother. It's to neglect her love, her care, her concern, her nurturing of your soul. So reason one, number one is I think we can gather and we can do so with a prudent or wise risk assessment. Because life involves risk. Life involves threats. This is a fallen world under the curse of God for our sin. You can't escape it. It's a false sense of security to think you can have a life with no risk and no threats. That's no life at all. And so we go through life making risk assessments. Now... Toby likes to say, and it's very wise and it's very true, we as elders and pastors are not guaranteeing anyone's safety here today. There are no guarantees 
in this life, right? So we make a we make a prudent risk assessment, but given the fact that there are no guarantees of safety, that brings us to point number two. The second reason we gather. Gathering is part of walking by faith and not by feelings. Again, true before COVID will be true after COVID. Gathering is part of walking by faith, not by feelings. I don't feel like going to church today. Well, that's irrelevant. That's walking by your feelings, not by your faith. Faith says God has a word for me today. Faith says I have an interaction in a fellowship with somebody appointed for me today. Faith says I need to hear God's people singing to booster my soul and my faith today. You see, fear is a feeling. Fear is an emotion. Fear is the opposite of faith. And we all know how important faith is to the Christian life and existence. We are saved by grace through faith. Paul says in Romans 1, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. First Peter says we are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Can I just say to you this morning, if there's even any of this left in your, in your heart and your soul, don't trust your fear. Don't trust your fear. Don't trust your anxiety. Doubt your doubts. Most fears, most fears in life are groundless. And they vanish when we face them. They disappear like a morning fog under the blazing truth of the sun. For instance, the boogeyman in the closet. (laughs) The monster under the bed. That's a baseless, groundless fear. And it goes away when you open the door. (laughs) Go open the closet door and make the fear vanish. You see, this is how fears dissolve. So our gathering is part of walking by faith and not by feelings. Let me ask you, have you unwittingly developed COVID phobia? I think we all have to some degree. We were at some point. We didn't do certain things that we could have done, that we should have done because of this insidious, this subtle, creeping COVID phobia. This fear of the unknown, this fear of what might happen. Let's walk by faith. Let's walk by faith and not our feelings. Let's walk by faith and not our fears. Let's not walk in lockstep with a fear-mongering, politically motivated media. We can debate how much of that is going on, but there's no debate that that's going on. There is no debate that mainstream liberal media is fear-mongering and politically motivated. And we are the victims Of their agenda. Let's not walk in lockstep with that. Let's walk by faith. Let's let the church be the church. Let's believe the narrative of the Bible. Not the narrative of culture. Let's believe the narrative of the Bible. Not the narrative of COVID-19. It's a narrative. It's an agenda. Let's not walk in lockstep with that. Kerrville Bible Church. We exist. To glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We do not exist to play it safe. We do not exist to isolate our lives for the value of self-preservation. 
we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ until our last breath. And this purpose of Kerbal Bible Church rests upon four pillars, four pillars that support this purpose. They are worship, walk, work, and witness. These are the four pillars of our church, the four activities of a disciple that support the purpose of glorifying God. And if we are doing these things consistently and by his grace, disciples will be made. If we worship together, walk together, work together, witness together, disciples will be made. So that's our purpose and our pillars. And then there is a foundation all of this rests upon. Our faith foundation is Jesus Christ and his word. It's the only foundation that can support these pillars and this purpose. It takes a mighty foundation to hold up a purpose of glorifying God. And that is our faith foundation. We rest upon the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He is sovereign. He is God in human flesh. He sits at God's right hand and he has given us his inerrant, infallible, sufficient, authoritative word. It is a living word and it is our foundation. We can trust Jesus. We can trust the Bible, not politicians and not their lies and not media and not their bias. I don't trust it. I don't trust any of it. We do not trust scientists in their hypothesis. A true scientist lives to be proven wrong. That's what science is all about. An hypothesis that we prove wrong until we prove it right. We don't trust ultimately in scientists and we don't trust in SCOTUS opinions that are targeting the church. We don't trust in nine men and women at the United States Supreme Court. They are not giving us our mandates. We are not putting our faith and our foundation on them. We trust in Jesus Christ and his word, period. And so be very skeptical about your fears. Be very Skeptical. Fear says isolate and quarantine healthy people. Boy, I get so fired up about this one. Prove me wrong. I don't think in the history of the world we have quarantined and isolated healthy people. And that's what's happened. That's what's happened in this thing that has overtaken the world. For the first time in human history, we've said to healthy people, you stay alone, you stay by yourself, you stay in your house. Where for all of human history, including the Bible, God says you isolate and you quarantine the sick and the rest of you live your life. See, fear says I need to isolate and quarantine. Faith says I'm healthy. I'm going to live my life in the fear of God. Now, don't come to church if you're sick. We don't want you here. All right? If you're spreading fever, flu, COVID, name it. We don't want you to come. Get better, then come. But faith says, I'm healthy. I'm going to live my life in the fear of God. I'm not going to live my life in the fear of man, in the fear of reports, in the fear of the unknown, in the fear of the future, in the fear of what might happen. If I live my life in the fear of what might happen, I'm going to get under my covers and I'm not ever coming out again. You see, everything flows from our faith. And the object of our faith could not be more faith worthy. You cannot find something more worthy of your total trust independence than the eternal, infinitely glorious triune God. We rest in 
him. The Bible tells us that whatever does not flow from faith is sin. That's what the Bible says. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Anxiety is sin. Fear is sin. Worry is sin. It's the opposite of faith. Now, practically, our faith tells us that life involves risk. If you eat, you might get food poisoning. If you go get a surgery, you might get an infection or worse. And in generations past, and it's still true today, every single pregnancy is a risk. You know, we're here today because somebody took a risk. We exist today because our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents took a risk. And if you go back in human history, it was a great risk. 100 years, 200 years, 500 years ago to get pregnant. How many moms died in in labor, children dying at childbirth? People have taken risk so that you and I can have a life. See, our faith tells us this. For example, since the six months of COVID, there have been approximately eight, eight deaths in Kerr County. Eight deaths in six months. In the last two months, there have been nine people killed by vehicles in Kerr County. Nine. Did you stop driving? Faith tells us what Psalm 90 verse 12 tells us, that our days are numbered. Our days are numbered. God has already ordained the number of our days in this world. We will not change that. Nothing can change it. (laughs) Nothing can change it. Our influence is on the quality of our life, not the quantity. Our faith tells us that the devil's fingerprints are all over this thing. It's been divisive among Christians. It's been stressful to the general population. It's been devastating to the economy. The devil's fingerprints are all over COVID-19. Our faith shows us that. Our faith tells us that. And God says in the word of Ephesians, he says, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So that's our second reason. Number three. Gathering reflects a biblical understanding of church. Church is the gathering. So if you want a definition of church, look around. This is it. Church is an assembly of the called out ones, ecclesia, those called out of darkness, called out of their sin, called out of lies, called to the truth, called to righteousness, called to holiness, called to Christ. So those whom God calls to himself, he then assembles in local congregations. The congregation is the church. The gathering is the church. We are an assembly. And so what we do on each Lord's Day is the essence of our definition. It is the heart and soul of what it means to be a church member. This, then, is the church. We gather to edify. We scatter to evangelize. When we scatter out into our workplaces, our communities, our homes, our neighborhoods, we're out there as members of a church, but we don't represent the whole church necessarily in that spot, in that moment. We're a part of the church, but this then is when the body gathers is the church at its truest essence. That means that live stream is not 
church. It's not. Livestream is for those who cannot be here. Livestream was designed in this place for outreach. It's a great tool for people to check out our church before they're able to come. Maybe they haven't even moved to Kerbal yet. Maybe they need a little soft introduction before they want to step in our doors. And so Livestream is that great tool for that to happen. Livestream is for the truly shut in that cannot come. It's for those who are sick who shouldn't come to church. It's for those who are traveling and they want to keep up with their church. Livestream is not for healthy members who can be here. Because live stream is not church. And we all discovered that. We all experienced that. Right? I want to say something very bold. I want to say something that might offend. But I think it needs to be said. For a KBC member who can be here. Live stream is actually worse than nothing. It's worse than nothing because it's going to deceive you to think that you are part of the church. It's going to deceive you to think that you are participating in the life of your church. And that you've substituted this thing we call live stream for this thing that live stream can never, ever reproduce. There have been some churches that don't even believe in live stream. They could do it, but they said, we're not going to do it because live stream's not church. There have been other churches who have turned off their live stream because more and more of their membership was getting more and more comfortable staying at home. And so they made decisions that this is actually destroying our church. So we're going to turn it off because live stream is not church. If you're a member and you can be here, then you should be here. And then live stream then is actually worse than nothing because it's going to assuage the legitimate guilt you have for not being at church. That's a real guilt and you need to have it. And if we stay at home, we say, well, this is my substitute. Then that's worse than nothing at all, in my opinion. The reason all of this is true is because you, you. You, your physical presence is vital. It is vital to our worship, walk, work, and witness. We have a corporate witness in here every Sunday morning. A corporate witness of our voice, of our presence, of our amen, of our smile, of our welcome, of our good to meet you. That is our corporate evangelism as God brings people in our doors And they say, wow, God is here. Listen to these people sing. God is here. Look at the eagerness of these people for the Bible. See, this is critical. Your physical presence and your physical participation is vital. It's essential. It's the definition of what this is. All right? We are, the Bible says, Christ's body and individually we are members of it. We are one body with many members and every member is essential to the flourishing of this body. We can't worship and walk and work and witness without the participation of each member. Consider this. How did you end up here? If you're a member of KBC, how did you end up here? Well, the Bible tells us. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. You are here because God placed you here. 
just as he desired, which means we need you. We need your talents, your experiences, your gifts, your presence. We need your faith. Those six weeks of me standing in those pews by myself, singing the songs while you were at home, they were horrible. It was wretched. It was soul-sucking. I was dying inside because I need to hear you sing. My faith needs it. I don't need to talk to every single person every single Sunday, but I need to come in and see you. And you need to see everybody else. This is what, this is what empowers and, and grows our faith. I'm not alone. Life is hard. I'm not alone. Look at these people persevering. You see, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Just get something in your eye and find out how much you need your hand. God called you to himself and then he gathered you to live your Christian life in communion. If you're a member of this church, God called you to himself and then he gathered you to commune with this church, these people right here. Okay, not some not some mythical church, not some church in theory. This church, right? God has called you to sit under the care of these pastors and these elders. He didn't call you to sit under some stranger's ministry on TV or the Internet. If you're a member of this church, then he's gathered you into this body for these days. So critical. God did not call us together then to see us live a distant life, an isolated life, a self-sufficient life. And these things can happen before COVID and after COVID, right? We can get too distant from one another and isolate from one another. And that begins to work contrary to the very definition and purpose of the church. No, God called us together to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Acts 2.42. There's the mandate. There's the, there's the blueprint for the church. It hasn't changed. Devote, devote, devote yourselves. Don't dabble. Devote. To the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, which I believe is communion there, and to prayer. Devote ourselves to prayer. The key word is together. We worship together. We fellowship in the spirit together. We witness baptisms together. We take communion together. You can't take communion at home by yourself. That's not communion. Just like live stream is not church. Communion at home by yourself is not communion. Communion is communion. (laughs) We do it together. It's essential. We sing the same songs. We hear the same sermon together. Listen, church is not the consumption of goods and services provided by the professionals at KBC Inc., Church is family worship. Church is family fellowship. Church is life on life. And if you can't find that here, after a reasonable effort, then go somewhere where you can. That's how strongly we feel about the the essence and the essential nature of the church in the life of a Christian. If you're a member of our church and after some long, reasonable effort, you just you just can't find that here. Then you have our complete blessing to search and find it 
Because we want you to have that more than we want your name on a list. This is how we love, okay? This is how we shepherd. This is a family. This is not the consumption of goods and services. So let's repent then of our self-sufficiency. Let's repent of our independence from each other. Let's humble ourselves until we feel our need for each other. Let's humble ourselves until we feel our need for each other. Pride isolates. Humility congregates. Pride says, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like getting dressed. I don't feel like getting ready. Humility says, I need it. I need everything that this is. Church cannot be disseminated through a fiber optic cable. Any more than you can do marriage and parenting in separate locations. The very definition of church leads us to gather. Number one, a prudent risk assessment. Number two, we walk by faith and not by fear. Number three, a biblical understanding of church. But then someone may say, well, I've made my risk assessment a little different than you, and I feel like it's too risky. Or someone may say, I am walking by faith. I don't fear death. I don't fear COVID. I'm walking by faith. I'm being reasonable. I'm being prudent. They may say the biblical understanding of the church also involves the fact that uh, we can call each other over the phone and we can fellowship one-on-one and we can do other things uh, as Christians and as members of the church. And all of those things uh, could certainly be true. And that brings me to, to number four. So number four is the final, the final point because it is the strongest. You may be able to marshal a, a wonderful argument against one, two, and three that argues for an indefinite, and that's the big issue here, right? An indefinite absence from the gathering of God's people. But I'm not sure what you can marshal against number four. Gathering is commanded by Almighty God. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to pick it up in verse 19 so we get the context. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. All right. You see what's going on here? Since, 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 since. Therefore, you see all these things because this is true, because this is unshakable, because this is our foundation. The, the blood of Jesus, uh, the, the crucifixion, resurrection of Christ, but because we're brethren, because these things are true. We have a great priest over the house of God. He's interceding for us even now. Because these things are true, verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. 
We have a faith-worthy foundation, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the pure water of the Word. So that's the first, let us. Let us draw near. And that's a word for worship. That's the word they would use to go to the temple. Let us draw near to God and He will draw near to us. Let us, as a corporation, as a congregation, as a, as a body, let us draw near. And then verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So hold fast to your faith, hold fast to the gospel, hold fast to the truth. You've been forgiven of your sins. You've been given the gift of eternal life and you are immortal until your last day that God has ordained for your life. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Then verse 24, and let us Consider, let us think, let us cogitate, let us meditate on how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Look at that, verse 24. So he's calling these believers then to think about how they can motivate one another and provoke one another and and, and exhort one another to love and good deeds. And that order is critical. He doesn't say good deeds and love. It all starts with love. And so as we go about our life, we're thinking about each other and how can I get this person involved and and where could this person serve and and how can I motivate and how can I encourage one another? Verse 24. Then verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together. Not forsaking the church, in other words. Not not forsaking the congregation. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. You see, this is timeless message today. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is that? The return of Christ. <laughs> the day of all days. All right, so look at what's going on here. In verse 24, we're told to think about how we can motivate and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And I suppose the writer could have just skipped right down and said, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. But he inserted verse 24 because it's this critical link. Here's the idea. We will not be able to consider how to stimulate one another and we will not be able to encourage one another if we do not assemble. You see, that assembling is the very practical thing in the middle of those two activities, right? They're right there in the middle, this assembling together. And so it's simply this, out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. We need to assemble. We need to see each other. This is what happens at church. This is what a church fellowship is supposed to look like. I'm motivating and encouraging and stimulating you to love and good deeds and you're doing the same for me. And as we come and as we go, as we hang out, as we do home groups and Sunday school and on and on, we are encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day of Christ drawing near. But it all is kind of dependent upon this assembling. If we fragment that, if we break that apart, then the, then the stimulation begins to die and the encouragement begins to wane. And God's people begin to starve and and, and suffer. I love Governor Greg Abbott, but he was wrong. And thank God he corrected course. This is essential business. This is essential business. And no governor and no president 
and no Supreme Court and no Constitution can take this away from us. See, we have a mandate from Almighty God to assemble together. No man or woman or document can take it away. When we have a governor that supports it, praise God. When we have a president that supports it, praise God. When we have a constitution that is one of our rights, praise God. But if all of those things change, ultimately nothing has changed because Christ is the head of the church, not Caesar. Right? So the mandate comes from the highest authority there is. No authority can trump his authority, God's authority. So when it comes to gathering each Lord's Day, the Christian should say, we must obey God rather than men. When it comes to gathering each Lord's Day, we must obey God rather than men. Let me illustrate it for you. I think of it like the promised land, right? Like, like church, this is like the promised land, okay? It is both a gift to us and it is a mandate, God gave Israel the land. But they had a mandate, didn't they? What was the mandate? Go up and take it. But wait a minute. There's threats. Let's do some prudent risk assessment. Israel faced terrifying threats. There were walled cities. There were trained warriors. These are a bunch of brick makers and shepherds. Wandering around in the desert. And they're going to go into these people who are trained warriors. And there were, of course, literal giants. But it did not change the divine mandate. Go up and take the land. So the gift becomes a mandate. God says to the Christian, I'm giving you the greatest gift here on this earth. It's the gift of the church. I'm giving you this glorious thing. Now go up in faith. Be like Joshua. Be like Caleb. Go up in faith and take the land. I also wonder this. And more than one person has asked this question. Is COVID-19 a warm-up for persecution? Is that part of what God is doing for the church? What if persecution was the risk? What if persecution was the threat? Some have argued, well, I'm not going to go back to church until there's a vaccine. I would ask, can you wait to obey God until a vaccine comes? Have you really thought that through? Because, I mean, look around. This is Kerrville. This is Texas. Not everybody's going to get it by a long shot. Are you ready to line up for one? No. Not everybody's going to get it. Get the shot, that is. That's the first problem. Second problem is vaccines are historically not that effective. Depending on the vaccine, depending on the virus, it's, it's way, way below 100%. Listen, the bottom line is science can never keep up with a groaning creation. Science is always behind and will always be behind. Just can't keep up. I don't think waiting for a vaccine is a valid argument. I don't know that that's been thought through all the way. So what should you do? Come back. You are, you have, and you are, and I trust you will. 
Come back. Come all the way back. Sign up for Sunday school class. Go to the women's Bible study on Tuesday mornings. Go to a men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. Sign up for a ministry team. Come back. Come all the way back. Kim and I got married in uh, July 1990. It was July 21st, 1990. <clears throat> and two weeks later, we packed up everything we owned and we moved from Tennessee to Los Angeles, California. Now, I would not recommend this as, <laughs> as something you really want to do in the first year of your marriage. We moved to California for four years of grueling seminary. And then after five years back in Tennessee, we moved here in 2000. So what that meant was those four years in California, and then since we've been in Texas, what this has meant is we've missed, we've missed a lot of family gatherings. We've missed a lot of birthdays and holidays and Thanksgiving and Christmas with uh, both sides of our family. This led to one of my mom's most repeated phrases over the last two decades of her life, I guess. It was sure nice, the holiday, the birthday gathering. It was nice, but we sure did miss you and Kim. It would have been perfect if y'all had been here. It would have been perfect. If y'all had been here, let's pray. Father, that's my heart. That's my heart as I uh, become like my mother. And I know what she meant. Now with uh, three grown kids of our own, and we want them all there for every gathering. And as a pastor and as a shepherd here in this church, Lord, we, as your elders here, to a man, 100% united, that's our heart. We want all of our church back with us. We pray you give us the grace and the protection and the encouragement and the strength. We pray you would uh, be glorified in how we respond to this message today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.